You're listening to Radio Influence. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Sitting Ringside. My name is David Penzer. We are so happy to have you here once again to listen to this thing we call a podcast. And we take this on Thursday afternoon, early evening. You're listening to this next week. But if you followed the last 48 hours, unfortunately, there's nothing going on now. What a crazy 48 hours in this business. And when you think it can't get any crazier or worse, It gets crazier or worse. So I'll start off with the worst. Um, I know people lost their jobs. Friends of mine were furloughed or or let go, and I know how that feels. Um, But I I, I think the worst, obviously, is that we lost. You know, it's funny. In in this day of uh, social distancing and quarantine, staying inside, you know, the cool thing to do now on Facebook is, you know, who's the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL? Who's the greatest quarterback in the history of, you know, who's the GOAT? Who's the GOAT for this? Who's the GOAT for, you know, in, in the NBA? Who's the GOAT for, you know, actors? You know, and, and, and GOATs become something that we refer to greatest of all time. And, and, and everybody argues about it. And I can tell you right now that I don't think you would find one person to argue that there's anything to argue about about who the greatest of all time as a professional wrestling ring announcer was. And unfortunately, uh, when I woke up this morning, I read that we lost him today as we record this. And um, and that's sad. And, and he had been he had been not doing well. So I don't think it was a surprise. Uh, I know Tommy Dreamer, bless his heart, had been visiting him once a month at his convalescent home. And so, you know, his quality of life has gone down, went down. So it wasn't a surprise, but still, uh, when you know that you've lost somebody who's so important, not only in the business that you love and are a part of, but personally in my life, I've told the story many times as, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't even really his ring announcing that got me hooked on wanting to be a ring announcer. It was when he read down the matches for next month in Madison Square Garden, and he was able to make main events that probably on paper were the shits, uh, Bob Backlund defending his title against one half of the Samoans. Uh, and and the, his execution of that, getting people hyped for that match, they'd clap. They'd probably go home and realize that kind of sucked, but Howard made it sound really fun. So, um, you know, I, I'm not going to say that I was close with Howard. Uh, I met him a few times. Uh, and uh, he was the nicest guy in the world to me and knew who I was. The fact that, uh, that he knew I, who I was the first time that I met him uh, – was um, was an honor in itself. It was was kind with his time and and with his advice and 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 I read you know you read a lot about that and you know that's just the kind of guy he was and you know I, I posted on Twitter you know I, I didn't get to spend a lot of time with him but you know the few chats that we had were an honor uh, and the fact that we got to you know snap a picture together and I have that memory was. Uh, was an honor as well and, and something that I'll always keep and display in the years to come, uh, even though he's gone. So uh, I think the, the, the everybody would agree that Howard Finkel was the greatest of all time as professional wrestling ring announcers due to the way professional wrestling is done. There will never be another one like him. He has his place, thank God, and I'm real happy he has his place as the only ring announcer in the Hall of Fame. And uh, he probably is the only one that deserves it at this point. Um, you know, I could see a spot in a celebrity wing for Michael Buffer. 
but he's more a boxing guy, and I'm sure if he's not already, he'll be in the Boxing Hall of Fame. I don't follow boxing, so he might already be in there. But um, but I don't think anybody else should. And, and no, nothing against you know anybody else who's been a ring announcer, Gary Capetto or Justin Roberts or anybody else. I just I just think that that if there's only one. If the greatest of all time should be the only one in in the WWE, only ring announcer in the WWE Hall of Fame. So Godspeed, Howard Finkel, and um, it was an honor to know you. Uh, And so the other bad news, obviously, that came on Wednesday was the mass cutting. I I can't think of anything like it on a major scale since WCW being uh, sold to Vince McMahon and so many people losing their jobs. Not only uh, talent, but producers and you know, a lot of people that I'm friends with, a lot of people that I'm friends with, I've been I've been texting a lot of different people the last 48 hours. And, um, you know, the ones that were furloughed, uh, they're going to get their health insurance paid for. And there's a spot for them uh, when this comes back. And I would assume there's going to be a spot for almost everybody uh, uh, if they want to come back once. You know, look, you you have to understand that uh, WrestleMania week for WWE I'm talking about the Raw, the SmackDown before, the Hall of Fame, the the uh, NXT TakeOver, the Axis, uh, and the WrestleMania event itself in the stadium. They probably gross more money in revenue, in merchandise revenue, in, in, in that weekend that almost any other wrestling company, maybe save New Japan Pro Wrestling, grosses in a year. Um that's a huge loss for them. And just the mer- forget about the ticket sales and the live, you know, the access sales. Uh, but just the merchandise alone probably is enough to sink the average wrestling company. Uh, I'm sure it didn't help that the XFL uh, had to uh, had to go away. And and the timing of that probably sucked, although a lot of it had to do with the same situation. So, you know. They, they obviously they had to do cuts and, and I don't think it's because they wanted to do it. Also, their live events are postponed indefinitely. And if you don't have as many live events, you don't need as many talent. You don't need as many uh, referees. You don't need as many writers. You don't need as many announcers. You don't need as many producers. So um, I, I think in a perfect world, everybody that left, if they want their spot, once the world gets back to normal, whether that's in six months or a year, or, uh, I don't know, you know, and there's no real answer right now but i think if they want their spot they'll have their spot and i think if they want to move on and see if they could hook up with another promotion you know it seems like uh you know gallows and anderson would would be natural for uh for AEW with their tag team division um you know i know rusev is another big name that was let go i i don't know where he'll end up um I know AEW doesn't want all – I don't know this for a fact, but I'm assuming they don't want every talent that was released. Uh, I could see a Zack Ryder ending up there for sure. But, um, but you know, they uh, – you know, there's there's going to be Ring of Honor and, and uh, uh, Impact Wrestling and, and New Japan. And once all this thing gets going again, there's going to be people that are going to be making all these guys and girls offers. So it's the producers actually I'm most worried about. So I hope they all – get their gig back when life gets back to normal because, you know, there's not a lot of companies that you can make a, a really good full-time living uh, as a producer in uh, there's, there are some spots for sure, but there's not probably enough spots than there were people who were either furloughed or let go. So um, I wish the best to everybody. I've been there, uh, not the same exact situation, but it's similar. 
I said the other, by the way, if you want to follow me on Twitter, where you could hear my opinions of all this uh, on a uh, current basis, instead of waiting for every Monday for the podcast to drop, you can follow me at David Penzer, all one word, D-A-V-I-D-P-E-N-Z-E-R on Twitter. But I, I put on Twitter, uh, I watched Drake Maverick's video and I said, if we had that, this technology in 2001 and I had half the courage that Drake Maverick has, uh, that might have been me at the you know posted posting that video when I found out WCW went out of business. So I felt his pain. By the way, I don't I didn't have as much courage as as he did, and I wouldn't have done a video like that. Uh, but I respect him for letting his emotions shine through. He loves the business. He's one of the the the, the he, one of the guys that you just just he just loves being there. You know, it doesn't matter if he's putting over a monster or if he's in the main event or if he's you know, being the haha but of a joke, he just loves to be there, and he doesn't care what 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 spot he's in. So, uh, hope to have him on the podcast if he'll come on. A lot of these guys are laying low. Uh, Want to just see how this all plays out. But we've talked to some, and we might have some down the road. But right now, like I said, a lot of these guys and girls are laying low. So the best to them. Uh, and um, think we have a very interesting guest. I, I didn't know quite how interesting until I looked into his story. I don't know that there's another professional wrestler who's had success in so many different styles of wrestling on an international basis. Uh, plus, you know, to, to, to state the obvious, uh, the controversial penis flip and, uh, you know, the attention that that's gotten both positive and negative from fans and, and, and wrestlers alike. So um, it's my honor to have on the podcast this week. We're going to talk about his career and we're going to talk about the whole uh, penis flip and how that started and, and the reaction on social media and how that led to his new character at Impact Wrestling. So welcome to City Ringside, Joey Ryan. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this week on City Ringside, we are honored to have Impact Wrestling star. Uh, you can see him every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern time on Axis TV, and he's undergone a bit of a transformation. We'll talk about that a little bit later. He is the one and only Joey Ryan. Joey, welcome to City Ringside. Thanks for having me. I was just like, tell. I was just telling you offline, um, I didn't, you know... You're on the other coast, so you know a lot of the stuff that happens over there. I really kind of goes over my head. But when I started doing research for this, it's a really amazing career that you've had and the things that you've done. So I'm looking forward to talking about that and a little bit of the current uh, atmosphere as far as your career and some of the pushback you've gotten. But I wanted to start out as um, I've already said in the opening of this podcast. Uh, we're taping this on Thursday evening, and uh, it will drop on Monday. So. Uh, there might be more news on Monday, the way this week is going. But uh, any thoughts on the last 48 hours? A uh, ton of uh, talented people got a furloughed or released from WWE. And um, Howard Finkel passed. Oh, yeah. So it's been a crazy, hectic week already. Um, yeah, you know, I, I a lot of those guys that, you know, and girls that got released or, or you know, whatever their situation is, um, they, you know, they're friends of mine that I've known because I've been wrestling such a long time. Uh, friends of mine and peers and, 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 you know, colleagues and even some mentors, you know, that were in the, where on the uh, agent side of things. Um, so it's just, it's just rough to see all your friends lose their dream jobs. Um, you know, some of them, you know, you know, some of them have been there for a very long time, but it's, uh, 
you know, pro wrestlers and, and everyone in pro wrestling, and that's, you know, you know, whether you're a ring announcer or a referee or, or whoever you are, the, I feel, I find that people in pro wrestling are uh, very resilient and very strong. And, you know, they're in, it's, it's a family. It really is a community and there's a lot of support there. And I think, you know, if, if, if some of these people choose to, they'll, they'll, they'll bounce back and be okay. Yeah. I mean, the problem normally is something like this. So, uh, you know, th- their phones would be ringing off the hook and I'm sure their phones are, but uh, probably not for a lot of, uh, you know, current stuff, probably trying to book them when, once everything opens up again, which is an open right. book. What, what happens in Idaho is probably going to be different from hap- what happens in Southern California uh, based on what, you know, each local yeah. and state representative and governor is, is saying. So, um, you know, I'm sure they're going to be a lot. Most of those guys are going to be hot on the indie circuit, hot for another promotion by another promotion, if not more than one. But um, and, and, you know, the uh, the conventions and stuff. But and in normal times, it, it might even be something where they can make a better living. But uh, but, yeah, this is uh, uh, uncharted territory. So, you know, everybody has to sort of just kind of be crossing their fingers. Let me ask you a question. Cause as you said, you know, most sure. of these guys, you've worked with most of these guys. There's been a lot of talk about some of the people in that company that got released and others that are still there that have wanted to leave possibly for, because they just didn't like the, their, their position possibly because um, they wanted to go to other promotions and they either were still under contract or, Vince had offered them so much ridiculous money that they to stay and not go anywhere else that they couldn't turn it down. Uh, are, are you getting uh, are you getting a vibe that there's how many percentage of the, and I'm not talking about producers I'm talking about the talent how many what's the vibe how many are relieved at this point as opposed to nervous or is kind of a mixture of both in some cases. Um, well, it's also fresh, so I haven't um, you know I haven't really talked to everybody yet. I've talked to a few of my closer friends. Um, but uh, the people I've talked to are pretty positive, have pretty positive attitudes because there is so much, you know, work out there. Uh, not only, you know, uh, AEW or impact wrestling or NWA or ring of Honor. you know, those are all companies that you can get contract, good contracts with at this point, you know, and if they decide to want, they want another contract, but some of them might like the freedom. Some of them might want to just be freelance and independent. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that because there's, you know, I mean, fingers crossed that after this, you know, the, the lockdown and pandemic's over, you know, independent wrestling bounces back. Uh, but there's a lot of work out there on the indie scene, too. So people can stay free of contracts and still make a good living. Um, so, you know, the people I've talked to so far, they're, they're pretty positive. Nobody's I mean, they're upset, obviously, because, you know, they they lost a job. I mean, you're never happy. You're never fully happy when you lose a paycheck. But uh, I, they're they're not the people I've talked to aren't depressed or, you know, they're not, um, they're not like looking at it as a glass glass half empty. Yeah. It's just totally uncharted territory. And, and what, what we would, what I would have predicted, uh, three months, you know, I, I had a bet with somebody less than six weeks ago. I was looking back on my Twitter feed, uh, one, one of the announcers for evolve Lenny Leonard, uh, and I'm going to owe him a drink when this whole thing is over. Cause I bet they would ne- never cancel WrestleMania at the time who would have ever thought in a million years that they were going to cancel WrestleMania. But now you look back and it's like, is LA going to allow WrestleMania next year? You know, are we going to have a football season where we could, uh, or is it going to be empty or stadiums? You know, it's, it's, it's just a crazy, crazy situation. And being down there, uh, in LA, uh, which is, pretty much where it all started, uh, California and, and Washington state has to be a, a unique experience for sure. I'm in Florida where it's more, uh, country, 
so, you know, you could go out and walk your dog and, you know, um, go get some groceries and not have to worry as much. Like I said, I'm, I want to get to your career because you've done a, ma- a lot of amazing things that I, 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 I knew a lot of what you did. But when I started diving into it, it's just a lot of unique places and a lot of cool stuff. Um, starting with your training, you uh, train really in three different places under different teams. And the names of your coaches is, is like one of the best learning trees I've ever seen. Tell me about uh, training and, and the different places you went to hone your craft. Um, the first place I went to was um, uh, uh, School of Hard Knocks for the Empire Wrestling Federation in San Bernardino, California, which is run by Jesse Hernandez um, and some of the uh, you know the, the students, the more experienced students, you know, helping the training uh, were guys like Frankie Gazarian and uh, Rocky Romero, uh, Bobby Bradley, um, and uh, I'm trying to think of who else without. Uh, I mean, Jesse's well known as being, you know, one of the longest tenured and well-respected uh, trainers and training systems in the business. Uh, so, yeah. So you started there. After, uh, yeah. And after a couple, uh, after, I don't know, probably about a year or so there, um, maybe a year and a half, I went to uh, Ultimate Pro Wrestling, which is uh, UPW, which at the time, I believe they were either in a developmental territory for WWE or just just out of being a developmental territory. Um, but that they had people like, uh, Samoa Joe training classes, uh, Tom Howard training classes. Um, and then, uh, when Brian Kendrick got released from his first WWE deal, he moved to LA and he was training classes. So, and I actually got a lot of training with Brian Kendrick. He kind of took me under his wing. And I, I always say, I always uh, kind of make this example because, you know, Jesse is a popular school. So he has a lot of students that come in and out. So it's kind of hard, you know, he's got a, He's almost, he almost has to like reset because he has so many new students coming all the time. So I always say Jesse taught me how to bump and then Brian taught me how to work because, you know, Jesse's also very old school in the mentality of like you learn to work by doing it, which isn't wrong. You know, there's no right or wrong in wrestling, but Brian really took me under his wing and guided me to show me like ring psychology and how to make things make sense. And then I saw if it's correct that you worked that you went from there, which is already pretty incredible, uh, uh, learning tree. You went to the, uh, uh, LA, uh, new Japan pro wrestling dojo and work with, uh, Brian Danielson. Is that true? Uh, yes. Uh, so after that, you know, the, about probably 2003, 2004, um, the new Japan opened a dojo in Santa Monica, California, um, which, uh, which, you know, had again, Samojo and again, Rocky Romero, but also had Daniel Bryan there training people and, you know, a few other, like there was always, guest trainers coming in from Japan. So I spent some time at the new Japan dojo in LA at the time, uh, learning, learning. And, um, you know, it, it's, you, 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 you always, you know, you, the, I learned a little bit of something from everywhere. And, you know, one of the things I know that I consciously learned from, uh, Daniel Bryan was how to explode with your movements and how to, you know, in, in bring your intensity up. And he, so he was a great, coach for that um but yeah i just you know i was at, at the time and, it, and still to this day i always feel like you can't you know you can't learn enough you can't train enough absolutely a thousand percent and i know that you've been a trainer at different various places throughout your career towards uh you know towards the latter part of your career now not the latter part of your career but most re- i should have said the most recent part of your career um so in 2003 you are one of six founders of pro wrestling gorilla 
Um, I've always really been fascinated with that promotion for a number of reasons, uh, mostly because uh, so many big names uh, to this day in the industry have come out of a little arena down in Southern California, um, but for other reasons as well that we'll get into. Tell me about how that came about that you guys decided to start that. Did, would you ever thought in a million years it would end up what it ended up? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, so there's a few there's a few bigger promotions in Southern California. California uh, XPW was there and then Epic Pro Wrestling came about <clears throat> and they were all, um, you know, questionably ran, um, you know, as far as business goes, uh, you know, promoters that surrounded themselves by yes men and throwing money at wrestlers who weren't going to draw fans and, and things like that. So, um, you know, there was a group of us wrestlers, six of us, as you mentioned, uh, that kind of got fed up with dealing with promoters that didn't, didn't really understand wrestling. And we, at the time we thought we knew, the, we didn't, but you know, being most of us being three, two or three or four years in at that time, we're like, Oh, we understand wrestling. We we're, we've been in the business, you know, for three years now, we know what to do. <laughs> so we all pulled the uh, money together and, you know, bought AJ styles, a plane ticket to come to Southern California for his first, uh, first, I think his first ever LA appearance. And, uh, you know, we got, I think we got from Mojo and Cole Cabana too, to come out and we just kind of filled the rest of it with the locals. And, you know, we just, took a, took a chance on it. And, you know, we ended up making our money back on the, on the gate and then we sold enough, uh, VHS tapes or DVDs, um, you know, at the time to, to run another show. And now for a while we were just like, well, if we make enough on this show, we'll do another one. And if we make enough on this show, we'll do another one. And then after a while it just became, um, you know, profitable and to, to run bigger shows and, and have a real audience that, that wanted the, the content. If I'm correct, um, and I think I am, uh, there was a time when you guys, towards the end and, and uh, recently, that you couldn't buy tickets. You had to be like regular, I guess, or know somebody. Is that true? Um, well, so the, the venue, the regular venue in, in Reseda, um, before that, that got torn down and they moved to a bigger venue, um, uh, or Peter, you know, Peter, you moved to a bigger venue. Uh, it. Uh, the, the regular venue only held, you know, a, a few hundred people and there's a, pop, a hot ticket in town. So, uh, f at first it was, you know, limited walk-up tickets. So then it was no walk-up tickets. You had to buy them all online. And then it became a thing where if you are a regular, um, you got first chance tickets because there was, they were selling out so quickly. I think the bigger venue now, um, I actually don't really do much with, with PWG anymore. Um, I kind of stepped out and did, started my own promotion, on my own. Um, so I, I kind of stepped away from, from PWG, but I, from what I know, the, uh, the newer venue, um, tickets are a little bit more accessible. You can hold, they can hold quite, quite a, like almost double what they could in Reseda. So, um, but yeah, it's still a popular ticket and it still sells out. It just, it's a little, it just, it takes a little longer to sell out. One of the things that I'm fascinated by and I wanted to ask you about, um, when usually when a company is doing that great, the next um, the next uh, thought process would be to scale, which is to to, to grow uh, the company. Did and you guys didn't? You guys didn't even leave that building until they closed the building, and you had to find another one. Um, was was there voices saying, "Hey, we should run a five thousand seat arena and see how we do"? And 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 if so, how how did you guys uh, decide just to stay where you were? Because that's hard to do when something's so popular. Yeah, you know, I mean, there was there was a lot of different offers. A lot of different people wanted to help us. You know, saw saw you know 
the business side of it and, and saw how we could expand and wanted to help us and, and, and get a cut in. But um, we wanted to stay, we wanted to make sure that we weren't, you know, adding anybody to the team that wouldn't, you know, that wouldn't, that, that had a different agenda than us. And uh, to be honest, uh, uh, one of the guys who founded with us is he wrestles uh, as Super Dragon. He is very much like a, he's like, if he was in a, if he was in a band and they got a major label offer, he would turn it down to stay punk rock kind of thing. You know, he had that attitude where he doesn't want the mainstream. He wants to stay kind of a, a punk rock vibe. So, um, you know, he was adamant about, um, just kind of keeping that vibe going and not wanting to rock the boat, not wanting to like dive into something that would change the product, uh, which I get, you know, it's, it's, it's worked because like, as you mentioned, it's a hot, hot commodity and, um, you know, and it's kind of just become its own little niche here in uh, Southern California. I really give him credit for holding to his, uh, his, his, what, what he believes in, because as you know, you know, human nature is you want to keep growing, uh, something that, that has interest. And, uh, so, so I was always curious about that because, you know, almost anybody else would have tried to run like the LA forum or something. Maybe, maybe not that big. Um, maybe, uh, uh, What's the old building there? The Olympic Auditorium, maybe. Is that still there? Uh, the building is still there, but it's a church now. It's a Korean church. Uh, I did the, um, uh, for Ready to Rumble, they did the uh, big crowd stuff, and I was the one that was sort of doing the crowd, instructing the crowd what to do. Uh, the, they were telling me in my ear, sort of like I do in, in uh, did in Nitro and different places, but uh, it was it was uh, cool to have been able to be there, but uh it's a church now, so I guess that's different. So moving forward a little bit, um, in 2006, I guess, you and Carl Anderson formed a tag team called the Real American Heroes as heels, correct? Yes. And feuded with a team from Mexico called Las Luchas. From what I understand, in some of the cities, things got a little heated, uh, a few riots here and there, and... Um, Sort of, you look at our current. Well, before the pandemic, you look at our current political situation, whatever side you're on, and 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 that whole um, Mexico USA has really uh, been brought to the forefront politically for obvious reasons. Um, you guys feel like you were kind of ahead of the curve on that? Um, well, I mean, I think I feel like there's a long tradition of that in wrestling, and uh, you know, of we were we were basically just like the. Americans that uh, that every other country sees us as, you know, like we were proud, just proud Americans that were very abrasive and like very, you know, vocal about our pride and, you know, and, and very egotistical about it and, you know, very cocky and confident and, you know, just how every, you know, how the stereotype of Americans that other countries maybe see. Um, and then obviously, uh, you know, we would be wrestling Los Luchas and, you know, in heavily populated Mexican areas and, you know, they would, the, the crowds would get a little violent and get a little rough. And because of, you know, some of the, some of the promos we were cutting or some of the, the ways just we were representing each other. Um, but yeah, I feel like that's a kind of, I mean, you, can't, you know, we can't say we, we, we created, you know, uh, uh, national, like, you know, national versus international kind of heat. Cause I feel like that's, that's a tale as old as time in wrestling, but we definitely, um, used it to our advantage and, and, and catapulted ourselves into actually winning the NWA world tag team titles, uh, in 2007. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a fun time. He's a, fun, he's a great wrestler and a fun partner. 
Was there, uh, uh, you talk about um, uh, riots and, and things getting out of hand and you talk to some of the, uh, the veterans uh, in the business that were in the territory days and they'll tell you stories about fighting their way to the back or having to be surrounded by security, people having not pulling knives. Was there ever a point that you looked at Carl and said, uh oh, we're in trouble? Or did it, was you always able to be able to, uh, to kind of keep it uh, under control? Most of the time, I, I remember one one time got out of hand. Uh, we were we were at a show um, in Texas, uh, and the, it was in a bullfighting ring, and so they, the the ground was clay dirt. Um, so when we started cutting these promos, the, the people started throwing like clay dirt in the ring, which is, which are like rocks. Yeah. And um, actually one of, and actually one of the referees got hit pretty hard by it, and the the building security had to come take us from the ring to the back. And you know we were waiting for the uh, you know for, the, for the, the the crowd to die down a bit, but then the building came and told us that we were not allowed to go back out, and they they didn't want us to go back out because they were worried that it would that it would you know ignite the people again. So we uh, we actually didn't get to wrestle that night um, because you know the crowd wasn't uh, was a little too restless for us. So I know you're not the promoter of that show, or maybe you were, but I'm assuming you're not. But do, and in talking to whoever promoted that show, is, is at that point, is the promoter happy because they got such a reaction, which means people will probably come back? Or is he unhappy because the, the, the feature contest didn't get to, to happen? I'm just curious. Um, yeah, you know, the, the match uh, was actually me and Carl against um, TJP and Ultimo Dragon. And so, and so because we didn't get to have the match, uh, I think TJ and Ultima went out there and they, they called us, told us to come out and they started the match and we just got counted out because we never came back out. So it was kind of a, a thing where, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, it was kind of thing where I guess, uh, you know, the crowd was, I guess, happy that we lost, but also maybe, you know, having Ultima Dragon there and then him not wrestling might've, might've been, problem. I don't know. I wasn't promoting the show. So I, it was an NWA show. So, I, I would have to ask them how they how they dealt with it at the time. Yeah, it wasn't something I was planning to ask you. It just it popped in my mind because, uh, you know, I, I guess as long as the fans are happy. Uh, uh, but, you know, that's a that's an unusual thing, especially in the, uh, the modern era. So I'm going to try something different and hopefully you'll indulge me. And um, because I've never interviewed anybody that's done such a range of different styles and different cities, different countries, uh, different stuff. So I'm going to do sort of a, I don't want to say lightning round, but I'm just going to name a promotion that you've wrestled with. Tell me a little bit about the promotion, if you don't mind, and your experience uh, with it and how it might differ from other wrestling promotions. You cool with that? Yeah. We're going to try something new here, so hopefully it works. So I'll start off with Juggalo Championship Wrestling. Juggalo Championship Wrestling uh, is, the ICP are super super cool guys. Um, I don't know if you've ever met them before, but yeah, um, they were in WCW. They, yeah. Right. Right. They're in WCW for a bit. Um, they're really nice and really professional and they, they, you know, they're, they're not, they're not my style of music, but I appreciate the show they put on cause they put on a great show. And, um, I actually did a little, uh, had a little spot with, uh, Oh man, I can't remember the, his name, but I think it was violent Jay's uh, son, um, who was maybe seven or eight at the time. And he came in and gave me like a hurricane Rana. And, and then because I took care of him so well and he didn't get hurt, uh, you know, I was, they said, anytime you, anytime, anytime we're in the city you're at, call us and you can come see the show. And then, so, I mean, it's kind of nice that they, you know, that they remember me from that. And it was kind of cool that, you know, even though I'm, it's not my style of music and it's not really my scene that those guys, uh, 
uh, enjoyed or like liked me, you know, and, and wanted me to want to see me again. Do you ever get to do the gathering of the juggalos? I did one time. Yes. It was a crazy experience. Yeah. Yeah. I did one time too, as well. And, uh, I don't know about your experience, but it was when I hear scheduled to start at midnight, that's the first hint that something might be a little, uh, uh out there. And then when we, yeah. it was two 30 and we still hadn't started the show. It was, uh, yeah. It was it was a unique uh, situation. I, I've told the story before, but real quick, the main event was Roddy Piper versus Terry Funk. So uh, the two hour trip back to the hotel because they're in the middle of nowhere was just me and Roddy and Roddy's son, Colt and Terry Funk. So I just sat back and listened to stories. And uh, right. yeah, yeah, that was so, a, a long, a long commute from the hotel to the venue. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I understand you were assistant trainer for Hulk Hogan Celebrity Championship Wrestling. Tell me a little bit about how that was. Uh, that was fun. There was, uh, so I don't know if you've, if you've watched that or you remember it or if anybody does, uh, there was, you know, so obviously celebrities that were trying, were training to, to do wrestling. And it was, a um, you know, it was a hard schedule because they would, you know, literally have training for a week or, you know, two weeks and then have to get in the ring and do a match. Um, and there was team, our uh, team beefcake and team knobs because Brian knobs, was a head trainer of one side and, T- and Bruce Beefcake was the head trainer of another side. And then oh God, I, they, I had forgotten that. Yeah. They hired us, uh, a few of us to come in and, um, you know, show basically show the basics. Cause like, I mean, Brian knobs, you know, very successful wrestler, very, uh, you know, he's actually had a, a long career, but he's not gonna, he's, he's not really gonna show somebody how to do an arm drag you know so they needed someone they need a few of us there to kind of kind of go over the basics and uh and show and show the wrestlers how to do it and you know it was, it was my first time being in a ring with hulk hogan which you know he's obviously being my age he's the you know my first hero in pro wrestling so you know it, it was a very cool experience and you know getting to meet him and you know eric bischoff my first time meeting him too i, I ended up working later working with both of them again in tna but um, yeah, it was very, really cool experience, uh, in the, you know, the celebrities cause they wanted to win. So they were all engaged and they wanted to learn. And, you know, some of them really took to it. Uh, Dustin diamond who played screech really enjoys, enjoyed being a heel in, in the ring. So, you know, obviously Dennis Rodman was there and he had, he had experience being a wrestler as well. So, uh, you know, it was, it was really cool cause they all wanted to learn. They weren't just there necessarily for like the PR or the, the work or the pay, they were actually engaged in learning. Is it me or is Sami Zayn trying to do it look like Dustin Diamond these days? <laughs> he really looks like him a little bit. Yeah, I could see that. I watch. I, I don't know I don't if you watch. Could, I don't know if you watch I don't WrestleMania. Think you can help it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't yeah. know if you watch WrestleMania, but I was uh, he's doing a gimmick now where he stalls and and, uh, you know, tries yeah. to keeps going out of the ring. So I, I was taking notes for the uh, podcast and I wrote. I'm seeing Sami Zayn doing an impression of Dustin Diamond. Dustin uh, uh, Dustin Diamond doing an impression of Larry Zbysko. So yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah. I'm, who 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 ended uh, up winning Celebrity Championship Wrestling? Didn't Dustin Diamond win? No, uh, Dennis Rodman did. Dennis. Uh, it was down to De- De- I think the the last two were Dennis Rodman and Todd Bridges. Todd Bridges, I did watch that. Todd Bridges who just- actually. Yeah, he actually has a background in gymnastics, so he was he was really good at like he really took the athletics athleticism athleticism of wrestling and could do some you know cool cool looking stunts and you know top rope stuff. And he really he you know he was like a high flyer um, because of his gymnastics background. 
I'll have to go back and 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 look that up and see if it's on YouTube or something because uh, I did watch it a little bit at the time, but um, uh, I, I I'd love to refresh on that, especially now get, knowing some of the uh, backstory that you've given. One of the promotions I've I've heard a lot about and I don't know a lot about, but I know it's unique that you've worked for is Lucha Vavoom. Tell us about that if you don't mind. Uh, Lucha Vavoom is a hybrid show. I I, I would I, it's I don't even know if I could call it a wrestling show. It's like a it's like a um, a variety act, more or less. It's got uh, wrestling. It's got uh, burlesque dancing. It's got comedians. Um, sometimes, sometimes musical performances. It's just kind of like a two and a half hour long, like uh, craziness of different. In you know, it's like it, it, it's weird because you didn't, you don't think necessarily like burlesque dancing and professional wrestling are gonna mix, but when you see it at the show, it absolutely does. You know, and it's a party atmosphere and a party vibe. And, you know, they run at a, a theater that's 21 and over. So, you know, everyone's drinking and having fun. And it's, it's low pressure if you're wrestling because the audience just kind of wants to have a good time. They're, they're not scrutinizing the work. And, uh, you know, they have comedians, uh, you know, uh, Drew Carey has done it. Andy Richter's done it, like co-hosted it. Uh, wow. I think, Jack, I think Jack Black has co-hosted it before. And he, they just, so basically your wrestling is to set up their jokes. So you don't really want to, you know, you want to, you don't want to work somebody's arm because then the, you're not giving the comedians who are doing live, they're doing live mic commentary. They're doing, you know, like a whole audience can hear them. You're not giving them material to work with, but if you do a spot where you run and you slip on a banana peel, then the, you know, then, then the comedians can tell a joke and everybody can have a good time. So it's not, it's it, it, like I said, it's more of a variety act. It's more just kind of like low pressure, but big fun. Is it true that your entrance music in that promotion was the Pina Colada song? Yeah, it started. It's, that's where it started at um, um, the Pina Colada song, and probably, you know, I started wrestling there in 2007. And it was Pina Colada song, and then um, probably 2000 and I don't know. It probably took a while. Probably 2014, 2015. I finally just adapt, adopted that to be my my permanent ring entrance music for in, the independence. Obviously, on Impact, I can't use it because it's copywritten, but. On the uh, uh, on the indie circuit, I use that as my my entrance music everywhere now. Oh wow! I'm real okay now. Now I'm really trying to pull this from the back of my my head. Is it Rupert Holmes who sings that song? Rupert Holmes, yes, definitely. Everyone ah, thinks it's uh, yes. Jimmy Buffett. Everyone thinks it's Jimmy Buffett. Oh, Rupert I knew it was Rupert something. I I, I kind of have a knack for remembering the one hit wonders uh, of uh, the '70s music. So I'm glad I was able to pull that out my ass. Uh, that seems. Do they still run uh, Lucha Vavu? Yeah, they run. So they run four times a year, and then uh, but two or three days in a row at the Mayan Theater in uh, downtown Los Angeles. So they run a Valentine's Day show, which is usually because they usually run like Wednesday, Thursdays, or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays if they're going to run three days. Um, uh, uh, the week of Valentine's Day, then they'll do another one around Cinco de Mayo. Um, then they'll do another one in the summertime and then they'll do one at Halloween. So they run four, four times, usually, uh, two or three days of shows. Well, I'll have to check and they that sell out. out. I mean, like, I mean, they're big, they're big. I mean, the mind theater holds, you know, 2000 to 2,500 people and they sell out every show. Like they sell out three shows a week sometimes of 2000 people. So it's, it's a, it's a hot ticket in LA and they're not cheap tickets either. That's crazy. I've heard a little bit about it, and I, when I saw you work there, I uh, I thought I'd ask you about it. Um, I know this was only brief, but tell me about working uh, Rock Ka King in, in India. 
Rocket King, that was fun too. Uh, I was I teamed with Nunzio there. We were the uh, we were Hollywood Hollywood and Broadway. Wait, uh, was it, yeah, I think it was Broadway and Hollywood or something like that. Um, uh, you know, because he's a New York guy. Um, uh, so that was that was who I was in a team with there. That was actually um, kind of how I got into TNA the first time because it was a TNA sister promotion. Um, right, right. Jeff and, did it. Yeah, and uh, I knew. Uh, David Lagana from my time in Ring of Honor and my time in Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. So uh, you know he he was on the writing team for uh, Ring King and uh, uh, he uh, and so he he you know brought me in to do that and you know that's actually what got me in front of TNA's eyes for the first time and it was fun it was you know it was it was uh, you know the, it was like the old story of where, you know, there's, there hasn't been wrestling in India, um, you know, or at least, you know, mainstream, or maybe they had WWE, but they didn't, they never got live shows. And so when you're in front of an audience, that's not used to wrestling, you know, a hip toss gets a big, you know, a big reaction because sure. no one, no one's seen it. So it was kind of like that. It was kind of, and then, you know, they did a, they tried to, I think they taught, I think it was Savio Vega, maybe that was teaching, uh, like some local Indian Indian guys, how to uh, wrestle, and they were on the shows too. So it was kind of like, and they were kind of thrown in the fire too, because like obviously they didn't have much experience. But you know, it was fun trying to get them to uh, to learn and go at the same time. So it was it was definitely a unique experience. You know, being in India, you know, I never thought I'd ever go to India, much less wrestle there and work there. So uh, you know, that was a cool experience to have too. Yeah, that's like a trip back in time to the 1960s when you know that people would uh, would pop for a, a takeover, a headlock takeover. Um, yeah, but different world now. Tell me about DDT Pro Wrestling. I know that's a little uh, sort of like maybe, and, and if I'm wrong, I apologize. A little bit like Lucha Vavoom without the the little comedy in there. Um, yeah, they 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 they're, they're so DDT Pro in Japan. They're they. Uh, they do a lot of comedy and they do have comedic characters. They do a lot of serious wrestling too. So it's like that, but like the misconception because they do lean towards comedy is that it, that it's an all comedy promotion and it's, and it's, it is really not, they do have some guys who can really go. Um, usually those guys are like the top of like the main event. It's, it's a little, so I, I guess it'd be like a little bit different in the fact that most times if you have a comedy match on a show, it's kind of like the, there's usually one, um, one of those or two of those in the course of a card where everything else is serious and DDT kind of reverses that where, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the matches are lighthearted and, and funny. And then like the main event are the guys that can go or, you know, the, there might be two matches like a tag team match with some guys that can go. And then, you know, the, the, not, not that the comedy guys can't go, but they're, they're, those matches aren't really geared towards it. And, and it's a good balance too, because a lot of the guys that, that are, you know, uh, that they, it's a good balance because they don't, the guys that are on top of the card, they don't, sometimes they, you know, they'll be in the mid card and they'll do like a comedy thing. So they're not killing their bodies every night, but every, when they need to go, they, you know, they could put them at the top of the card and they can have like very new Japan style matches. Um, but it's, it's, it's got its own, definitely has its own fan base. And it's, you know, one of the bigger, I guess, I guess it'd be considered independent and indie in Japan, but it's one of the bigger ones there. Um, I guess probably, under New Japan would probably be Dragon Gate and then maybe DDT. So those are, you know, so it's, it's got a big following and that's, you know, kind of where I launched all the penis stuff. So it's, it's, we're, we're going to get to that in a minute. We're going to get to the big yeah. Lebowski. Give me a sec, but uh, we'll get yeah, back yeah, to yeah. that. 
I just have two more. Um, uh, the, probably most of the people that listen to this podcast, out of all the ones I mentioned, are probably most familiar with Lucha Underground. But that was very unique, uh, and it started a lot of things that have drizzled into other promotions, even sort of like, um, from what I understand, the the uh, Boneyard match at uh, WrestleMania uh, was something that uh, that – I understand. I've never seen Lucha Underground. We've had a bunch of guests on that were on it. Talk, talk to me about it and how it's influenced the wrestling business moving forward. Um, well, it's definitely, definitely like, uh, uh, I guess, otherworldly. I don't know. Um, you know, it was, it was kind of under, obviously the theme was underground fighting and, uh, you know, they had different characters and some were supernatural and some had superpowers and, you know, others were, you know, just rest, you know, straight up wrestlers and others were, some sort of fighter or gang, you know, they, they, they tried to make it very like a, I guess like a street fighter, a more combat feel, um, you know, like a video game brought to life. Uh, but they did do a lot of cinematic shots and cinematic wrestling scenes, which, um, you know, I guess in, in the world of wrestling today, whether it's, you know, Matt Hardy's final deletion or the boneyard match or the Funhouse match, they just had at WrestleMania. It is kind of a outside the box way to do wrestling. Um, and you know, it, it was, I mean, it was shot well. And, you know, we, they had, they had, uh, some of the characters that were there were, you know, act, like legit actors who were hired to not, not just play the characters, but help us out in the acting. Cause like, I mean, I played an undercover police officer who was corrupt and working for the boss. And the boss was obviously the main heel. And, um, and so like I had scenes with him where it was like, you know, a lot of dialogue and a lot of acting and, but he was a trained professional actor and, you know, so he would help me out with those scenes and to, to make them not, so I wasn't doing like cheesy pro wrestling acting, you know, I was kind of, you know, learning, learning a little bit of that world, a little bit of the acting world, um, from him. Um, and you know, they, they shot a lot of like a lot of the backstage scenes and a lot of the storylines and a lot of the characters had these, uh, different kind of, um, you know, different kind of stories where they, they, you know, needed to be shot like a movie because the characters were basically out of a movie. So it was, it was definitely different and unique. And I think that if anything, that was ahead of its time, or if it wasn't ahead of its time, um, they didn't, the, the network it was on really didn't know how to market it. And that's kind of why it fizzled. Aren't they the first promotion to literally kill off a character? Like when I say kill off, like slit their throat or shoot them or something like that. Yeah, there were some deaths in it. Definitely yep. some deaths in it. Um, and and uh, actually impacted that uh, a couple of times now, and uh, you know p- people either love it or hate it. I find it interesting. And uh, do you think there would ever have been a boneyard match if uh, if Lucha Underground wasn't around? Um, I mean, it's 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 hard to say. Like you know, I don't I don't necessarily know who in WWE came up with the creative part of that. If it was you know a way for the Undertaker to kind of still you know, go out in style. Cause I guess, you know, his last couple of matches weren't, you know, universally loved, um, you know, and, and it's a, kind of a way to protect him, you know, to, to get him, you know, that, that same feel, that same undertaker feeling that we've always had from his matches for years and years. Um, so, I mean, I could have seen that being the necessity for it, but I could also see, definitely see like Lucha Underground influencing that or people, the fact that it's one of those ideas where you, when you hear, maybe you think, Oh no, that, that'll never work. But then when you see it, your own, your own juices start flowing and your own creativity starts flowing and be like, Oh, now that I've seen somebody do it, you know, I I can see these ideas working as well. Um, so I definitely think there's influence in, in wrestling and, you know, the cinematic masters mass, the cinematic matches in 
Lucha Underground. Um, but I don't know if like, you know, I wouldn't call it a direct ripoff. Yeah, I know I'm considered old school, but um, I absolutely love the Boneyard match, and then even loved even more the uh, Firefly House of Fun match. I just, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy that. At some point, you just got to say, you know what? It's not 1970 anymore, and uh, and uh, and 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 you know, be open to change, or else you're, you know, you'd, or else not watch wrestling anymore because it's not what it used to be. And you could say that's good or bad, but and we'll talk to you about that because that's a big part of your current story um so you took all these different unique styles that you were doing uh and you opened your own promotion called bar wrestling tell me about bar wrestling how that came about and uh out of all these unique promotions that you work for what what did uh what made bar wrestling uh, a little bit of i'm assuming a little bit of everything that you had experiences in um yeah so there's uh you know I would say it's kind of well. I, I it's kind of I directly ripped it off from one of the shows I did in Japan. While I was in while I was in Japan, I did a show called Tavern Wrestling, which is uh, was basically like standing room only, cheap alcohol and like a party vibe. No no in depth storylines. Nothing and wrong with cheap audience, alcohol, Joey. Right, and you know the audience in Japan is usually um, very reserved and you know very respectful, but this audience was drunk and they were loud and they were cheering and they were hollering the whole time, which is different in Japan. So, you know, I really, it was it's so much fun. And, you know, I said, I asked them, I said, Hey, can I borrow this idea and try it in America? And they, you know, they, they gave me their blessing. And then, you know, there's some promotions in, in, in the States that were already doing kind of standing room only stuff beyond wrestling, did standing rooms only stuff. Um, you know, I think I did, uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to not forget any promotions that, um, you know, fast wrestling, uh, I think freelance wrestling. So there were some promotions that were in, you know, in Germany, I worked for WXW, which did standing room only. So, um, it was kind of, so there's, so what we do is we set up, you know, a, a venue, there's a bar, obviously, um, there's the ring and there's no chairs, there's no seats. So it's kind of like a party. Everyone just kind of, you know, huddles around. There's no barricades. People, the audience is right up to the ring. Like, oh, you know, wow. they're pounding on the mat during the, yeah, there's no barricades. And they're, they're smart. You know, wrestling fans now are smart. You know, they, we can still do outside the ring stuff and we can still do dives and stuff and they know to clear the way. So it's kind of cool to see when a wrestler spills outside the audience parts of the way and they, they give the wrestlers room to work. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's just kind of like if you, if you had a party with all your friends and then, Oh, by the way, there's also professional wrestling happening. Um, I don't have storylines. I don't have ch championships cause I don't really want, I don't want people to have to, when they're like, think, well, you know, last month this guy did this. So there's an issue here. And like, I don't want people to have to think, I just want them to go and, you know, let, let go of their, their inhibitions and, you know, drink and have fun and just enjoy some like a stunt show, basically just enjoy some crazy pro wrestling. Yeah, enjoy the moment without having to, you know, think too much. I totally get it. Actually, we could use some of that right now. I'm sure there's a lot of people who, uh, who would who would be up for that right now. Um, are you one of the first people to do to do the inter intergender stuff uh, here in the U.S.? I wouldn't say I'm the first because I mean WWE did a lot of it in the Attitude Era. Um, right. You know. Fair so, point. So, um, you know, and then, but I mean, I think the I guess once they turned PG and kind of turned off, cause like everything kind of trickles down from WWE, obviously, um, you know, especially after WCW went away. Um, so, uh, cause they're obviously the leader of the industry. So when they went PG, a lot of promotions, a lot of wrestlers were like, 
you know, okay, we have to follow these guidelines because eventually one day I want to be in WWE. And if I, if, you know, if I'm not following their guidelines, then I'm not going to make it or promotions are thinking like, you know, this is what wrestling fans are conditioned to now. So we need to cater to the, to the modern day wrestling fan who watches WWE. Uh, but, um, you know, I just, I, I, I saw, I guess if anything in it, you know, me and, uh, Candice LeRae actually, um, you know, she's a, she's a big part of kind of the, the, the changing of the, the thought process in that, you know, I kind of, I kind of saw the women's evolution in wrestling coming and I'm not trying to say that I'm some sort of psychic or I'm sort of some sort of genius about it, but I definitely saw the women's revolution and the women's evolution in wrestling coming with, um, you know, these girls that were lifelong fans. I grew up watching Randy Savage and grew up watching Shawn Michaels and emulating them and not, just being models that were trying to make a quick buck in professional wrestling. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of saw that coming in, um, you know, and all of a sudden on the independence, because, you know, WWE took them a while to kind of transition over to like more of the worker style and not just the, 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 the pretty face and the, the model looking girls. Um, so there was a lot of these girls on the independent scene that were not stuck on the independent scene, but they were, but, but they were there without, you know, with just, just working hard and trying to have matches as good as the guys instead of just being, the filler match. So, you know, I, I, I started seeing like the, I guess the, the, um, positivity and the, you know, and the, the, the bringing the female audience, I saw, you know, girls in the audience that were, you know, that were inspired by these girls uh, that, you know, these little you know, younger girls watching wrestling fans, watching these girls and being inspired. So I just thought, you know, I could be a, a villain that, you know, these, these female wrestlers could overcome, and that's, that's kind of where it sparked from. And then me and Candace decided to be a tag team, um, which got a lot of notoriety because of, we were probably maybe the first, there's quite a few of them now on the independent scene, but there's, um, we were kind of the first intergender tag team. And, uh, you know, so we were wrestling, it would be me and Candace against another guy, another girl. We'd be against two guys. Sometimes he would be against two girls. It was just like, we didn't really look at gender as being playing a role in the kind of matches we were having. We were just trying to develop our tag team, um, and I think that helped definitely launch intergender wrestling into what it is today on the independent scene. Uh, and speaking of impact wrestling, uh, what do you think about how the whole thing has gone down with Tessa Blanchard being the world heavyweight champion since that was sort of something that came out from bar wrestling? Uh, I don't want to say there was a direct correlation, but you definitely put the idea in people's heads. Um, yeah. I mean, again, you know, that's, that could be another thing that Lucha Underground influenced too, because Lucha Underground had, um, sexy star who's a female luchador from Mexico. She was the champion for a while on there. Oh, I got um, you. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's just, it was kind of, and a few independents have done it as well, but I think, um, you know, for a company with the notoriety of, uh, impact wrestling, I think Tessa is a perfect, um, you know, example of somebody who can cross cross over and, and, and look legit and, and, and bring the fight to the guys. You know, um, I think she's a, she's a good, good representative of intergender wrestling. Um, but I, I definitely, you know, and, and I, you know, I, I credit impact for trying to think outside the box, you know, for, I think for a while, I think for a while TNA may have been floundering a little bit because of the fact that they, people might've thought they were just trying to be WWE or try, you know, they were just, they were always like trying to, trying to follow that model. And I, you know, and I credit impact wrestling for trying to change their identity and trying to, um, change the way people perceive them and get their own identity and have their own rules. And, you know, and, and, you know, and even AEW is doing that now where just because something is a rule in WWE doesn't mean it's a rule everywhere in wrestling. Cause you know, we, we, we make this stuff up as we go along. So, 
um, you know, these, these companies having their own identities and, you know, intergender wrestling being a part of a big part of impact wrestling now, you know, I think is, is a, is a way for them to, to kind of hold their own identity. I got to tell you from a, a standpoint of somebody who was watching from afar and then got to be in um, Atlanta for that set of tapings that just uh, finished Aaron on Axis. Um, Tessa's always impressive and, 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 but to see it in person and to see the way the crowd buys it, that, you know, is, is, is something that really hit me. I, I almost say, you know, if you're, if you're somewhere in the middle of that, go see go see Tessa and, or on Impact live somewhere. Once we get back to live shows, uh, and and it, 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 I don't know why, but for some reason it just it, it it really puts the whole thing together when you see it live and the reaction and the the work and it's just um, as somebody who was sort of you know eh, I don't know if this you know I don't know what to think about this. Um, you know, as old school, like I said, but when I saw it in person, it really so, kind of so. Select it for me. Is that the word? Uh, since it's yeah. um, since it's uh, I wasn't planning to ask you this, and then we'll get to the penis stuff. But um, uh, and thank you for your time. Since it's um, uh, it just happened and uh, it got a lot of talk. Um, tell me about being backstage uh and the the locker room sellout for the Mike Jackson Johnny Swinger match. They showed a little bit of it at the end, but I was watching it during the during the match and I think the the the, the talent was popping louder than the fans. I, in 30 years of professional wrestling, uh I've never seen anything like that. I kept trying to get my camera to uh to film I and I couldn't get for some reason I couldn't get my, I had a new phone, so I couldn't figure out. I had never shot video, but uh, tell me how that was, and if, if you've ever seen anything like that, because you know you've done a lot more than I have. But uh, I thought it was very, uh, very crazy. Yeah, you know, Tommy Dreamer all day was telling people you're going to want to watch this, and everyone was like, "Yeah, yeah, Tommy," you know, kind of thing. You know, where Tommy's like, "No, trust me, you're going to want to watch <laughs> this," because yeah. Tommy knew. Tommy knew, and then you know. And I obviously swing our day too, because he was putting the match together with him. Um, uh, so, but when it, when he got out there and we saw, cause you know, he showed up and, you know, I mean, some people, he's been around, you know, he's been around for years and especially kind of in the East and the South people knew him, knew him already. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, a lot of us, this is our first time ever seeing him and, you know, we got there, he looks, he looks kind of like a frail old man and you're thinking, okay, this is for the nostalgia and not really for like the, the, um, you know, the, the spectacle and, uh, but no, he got in there and he, when he started going and he, the little by little, the monitor started getting crowded, crowded because people were were hearing other wrestlers popping. And then by that, by the time the match was in the, you know, in the middle of the match, it was a full locker room. sellout. everybody was watching the monitors and everybody was popping and it was crazy and fun. And, you know, it was, it was endearing, you know, really, because it was this guy that, you know, you know, he's in his, what, he's got to be 70s, right? At 71 least, or 72, 71 or 72. Yeah. yeah. You know, doing the, doing the thing that we all love, you know, and we're all, you know, young, middle-aged or younger, you know, in the, the roster. And we're just seeing this guy who, you know, is, is still living our dream at 71 and popping people. And just, it was just a real fun experience. And then, you know, everybody wanted to shake his hand after. I guess we're not going to be shaking hands much anymore, but at least at that time we were all shaking his hand after and, uh, you know, telling them we were impressed with what we saw. Yeah, I mean, to put it into perspective, I'm 50, going to be 54 uh, next month. And I used to watch him when I was a teenager, uh, like 14 years old as an enhancement talent and uh, 
championship wrestling from Georgia, even before it was WCW or the NWA uh, out of that little studio back in the late seventies, early eighties. So it's, it's crazy, but uh, I had never seen anything like that. You know, I've seen a lot of locker room sellouts before or a few, but never, never the, 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 the talent genuine as genuinely happy to be watching something uh, and impressed. So I thought it was really cool. It was actually hard for me not to stooge off because uh, one the first thing I said to Scott is, uh, do you guys, do you guys, are you guys okay with spoilers getting out? And he goes, in what way? I said, well, can I have Mike Jackson on my podcast before the thing to talk about? He's like, no, nah, I'd rather you wait till afterwards. So we're trying to get him for next week. But, um, but yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's get to, let's get to the obvious. Um, how did the penis thing come about? You mentioned it was in DDT pro wrestling in Japan. Whose idea was it? Uh, did it work immediately? Just tell us a little bit of the backstory. So, uh, you know, it was, I, we were, I was wrestling this uh, guy, his, his wrestling name is Dan Chukadino, who's one of the mainstays in, in DDT. Um, it was our first match together, um, and he, it, the political correctness in Japan's a little bit different. So, uh, you know, he plays a gay character who kind of like, kind of, you know, like his, his big thing is he grabs his opponent by the junk, and then they, they're freaking out, and then when they're freaking out, he capitalizes by slamming them, suplexing them, arm-dragging them by whatever it is. Um, and uh, he came up with the idea where he would grab me, but because he wrestles Japanese guys all the time, and the stereotype is Japanese guys are smaller than American guys are supposed to be bigger there, that... That the punchline would be that I'm not affected by his grab because my, because I'm so powerful there, I'm a lot more powerful than the guys he normally grabs. And instead of me him flipping me, I flip him. Um, and it was kind of like a like it was like a you know it was like okay let's do that you know and it was just kind of like a fun idea. We didn't really see the um, we didn't really see the like I was I think it was like in the, our opening spot maybe I. I you know of the, I think we were in a six man tag and it was just kind of like a, a transitional spot. But when that uh, 27 second clip hit the internet, it was crazy and it went viral and it was on ESPN. It was on uh, E Entertainment. It was on Tosh.0. It was on uh, The Soup. It was on all these different news outlets. Rolling Stone covered it. Maxim covered it. Um, I'm trying to think like Sports Illustrated covered it. And it was just everywhere. And, you know, so, you know, and it was a lot of, you know, it was hitting a lot of mainstream. And, you know, I would have my friends in wrestling be like, oh, my uncle who knows I'm, in re- I'm a wrestler, I'm a wrestling fan, sent me this clip. So it was, I knew it was hitting a lot of mainstream people because, you know, uh, a lot of my wrestling friends were getting it from their fa- friends and family who weren't into wrestling. Um, uh, so, you know, I decided, you know, I could, you know, I could just laugh it off or I could run with it, you know, and I decided to run with it. And I honestly thought maybe I would get three months out of it before everyone got tired of it. Right. But then I just tried to, trying to get creative with it and do it in different ways and different manners. And the, the majority, and you know, I was, I was, wasn't even sure how many wrestlers would go for it, but a lot of them came up with their own creative ways to do it. And a lot of them just liked the idea of doing something outside the box. And, and you know, it just, it just kind of caught on and became my thing. And now I'm here, you know, close to five years later, still doing it. And, uh, you know, it's still profitable and making me money and getting good reactions and, you know, it just, it was, it's just, it was just a crazy little by chance. It just kind of happened. And I left out and got a viral video out of it. But yeah, it was, it wasn't my idea. It was my opponent's idea initially. So 
one I don't I don't want to say good thing about 2020, but in, in this era that we live in. But one thing I'll just leave it at thing because, uh, you know, there's there's positive and negative, I guess, is, is social media. Everybody has a voice and you can hide your voice behind uh, a tag name or a made up name or something like that. And I know that the reaction on social media, the action the reaction by the wrestlers, uh some who are old school has been mixed. Uh, when did you first start hearing? Was it the when when it went viral that you started hearing you know, getting some pushback, or was it when it became just more well known throughout the the U.S. that you kept doing it? Uh, it was it was pretty right away when the viral video hit that there was um, backlash for it, which I think actually ended up helping the growth of it because you know it's if it's. it's if people love it or hate it, they're arguing about it. If people are indifferent about it, then it goes away. It just, sure. has, you know, so you need the extremes on both sides. Um, you don't you need, you know, you, you don't need people who are, you know, indifferent about it. So I think the backlash actually helped it. Cause you know, some people would say, you know, some people would hear somebody say like, Oh, this is the worst thing that's ever happened in professional wrestling. And then someone would be like, well, I need to see this. And they would go look it up and they would be like, wait, this is funny. Or this is not, you know, and then they would tell the person that said that, like, no, you're wrong. And the person, no, no. And they would be arguing about it. And like, I would be, you know, sitting at home, not doing anything. And people are arguing about it, putting it over on the internet. So I think the, the, the argument in the detractors actually helped build it, um, build it up more. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously social media is a, a big part of the wrestling world these days, but you know, I, I, I you know, you just got to use it both. You have to use both the good and the bad to market yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And in this day and age, if you tell a bunch of, a bunch of people, if, if, if you're, I don't, you know, say a Jim Cornette, cause it's obvious that Jim Cornette was one of the, the ones screaming the loudest and he's still screaming about a million things. But, um, uh, if you're a Jim Cornette and you tell uh, you get on your podcast or you get on the, the Twitter and you say, uh, if you like this, you're not a wrestling fan. You're a moron. Uh, p- people are going to be like, no, I like it. And I'm going to now I'm going to even go and support it even more just to show you you're wrong. So, I mean, you know, you can't you can't people people uh, now they want to they, they are staunchly behind whether it's. A political figure, whether it's behind, you know, something that went viral, they are, uh, do not try to tell them no. Was there anybody ever that was negative about it, uh, that bothered you, that somebody that you had looked up to in your career or looked up to as a kid that you were like, "Ah, I wish that I wouldn't, that that he would have liked that a little bit better? Um, well, I mean, I, I mean, just being honest, you know, I I was a fan of Jim Cornette, you know, obviously growing up in LA, I didn't see him much, you know, you know, cause I was a WWE guy, but, uh, you know, it just like, yeah, I mean, you just, you're going to get the good with the bad, you know? And, and, and it's not, you know, I, I've definitely had my, um, I guess internet sparring contests with Jim Cornette, but you know, at the end of the day, like there's no, there's no real right or wrong. It's all, it's all opinions. And, you know, we just don't see, this is just something we don't see eye to eye on. Um, you know, and I, I feel like, you know, I've been in wrestling 20 years now and I've kind of built, I've had the right to develop my own opinions of, of, of what, how wrestling, how I feel wrestling should be. And, you know, like I said, there's no, there's no wrong or right. There's, it's all just opinions. Um, so, you know, I, I, it sucks when it bothers somebody, especially that, you know, somebody that you, you liked or somebody that you looked up to or somebody that you, you, you want to like, uh, but you know, it's, it's, 
it's just the way the world is now, you know, everyone, like you said, everyone, not, not only does everyone have an opinion, but everybody can now broadcast their opinions. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else who, who's given, you know, it, it actually ends up being reversed and I'm going to, I can tell a quick little story here. Sure. That's I, why I you're here. A, I was, yeah. I was on a, sh- I was on a show with uh, Kevin Sullivan actually. And he was watching all the matches on the monitor and um, you know, and you know, before the match, before my match, you know, I, went up and shook his hand and introduced myself. Uh, and then I went and had my match. And then after, after my match, I was like, all right, I don't want to hear it. Cause he, he seems, you know, obviously he's very old school. I'm like, I don't want to hear it today. I'm not in the mood for it. So I'm just going to avoid him for the rest of the day. You know, <laughs> do mind my, mind my own business. So he, you know, he doesn't have to, so I have to hear, you know, so I, I, I just kind of avoiding him the rest of the show. And then, um, uh, and then after the show, you know, the show was over and everybody's leaving and, you know, everybody's saying goodbye. And he was, you know, kind of by the, the doorway, you know, so saying goodbye to somebody. So, so I can't just blow, I can't just walk by him and blow him off. So I went up to say goodbye to him and I, you know, I said, Oh, it's nice to meet you. Um, you know, have a good night. And he, he looks at me, he just starts laughing and he goes, man, your stuff was so good. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. So like I was avoiding Kevin Sullivan because I was afraid of his reaction, but he actually liked it and popped for it and thought it was funny. So, um, you know, so it's, it actually, sometimes it tends to be the opposite where now we're, yeah, I guess Hackslotch and Duggan was like that too. Like, you know, he, w- I went and did, he'd never seen me before and, and he, and I was on a show with him and he watched my match. And then, you know, when I went to the back, he, he just looked at me and he held up his two by four and said, brother, I had to do something stupid to get over too. So, you know, I think, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like a lot of the veterans get how hard it is to get something over and maintain it being over for any like significant period of time. So I feel like the, the, a lot of veterans have the understanding of, okay, this is over and this is why it does it because, you know, it's not easy to get something over. That's awesome. The Kevin Sullivan story. I never heard that. I stayed in touch, in touch with Kevin quite frequently. I have to ask him to, um, to, uh, to tell me the story, but um, yeah, you know, it took me a little while to understand and get the Orange Cassidy stuff. You know, it just it, it sometimes it takes a little while. My my I have a twenty three year old and twenty five year old son who thinks that who thought that Orange Cassidy was the greatest thing ever, and I was like. Uh, I just don't know if I get it. They're like, Dad, just go with it. You don't, you know. I was like, What's the backstory? Why does he have his hands in his pocket? He's like, You're old. You're, you're old school. You, you just go with what it is and enjoy it instead of trying to figure out why. And so I really enjoyed Orange Cassidy now. And you know, uh, you know, I was at uh, WrestleCon and saw. You know, you had a penis party and there's 3000 fans, you know, going absolutely crazy for I think you guys did a spot. If I'm if, if, if this is the right show, you guys did a spot with like eight guys doing the penis flip at the same time. And uh, and I yeah. mean, the place was going crazy. So, you know, what? if here's the deal, if it works, why question why it works? Just go with it. Because uh, if, if, if it works, you're making money. And if you're making money, then uh, then that's the name of the game for sure. Um I do understand at some point there was a backlash to where you were getting death threats and stuff. I recently learned that. Tell me about that and tell me how that morphed into your new character uh, on Impact Wrestling. Yeah, I mean, I guess they've been, yeah, I mean, some some people are really um, uh, mean, you know, I guess for lack of a better word on, on Twitter and social you think? media. You think? Yeah. And, <laughs> well, I mean, like, and this goes back to like my, my initial I guess beef with like the Jim Cornette stuff was that he was wishing death upon Kenny Omega and the young bucks because of the way they wrestled. And then his followers were echoing his opinion. And I just thought that was irresponsible because he has, 
he has a fan base that will listen to him like the gospel and what he says has power and meaning to them. And so now, you know, the young bucks who are fathers and husbands and, you know, breadwinners for their families are now having, you know, people wishing death upon them. Um, you know, and so that was my, uh, you know, initial beef with him. That's this is be even before the penis stuff in me and Cornette, because, uh, uh, you know, he's been, he's, he's had his, his, his stuff with the young bucks and Kenny Omega has gone on long before long, long before it was, before I was involved in that. So, um, you know, I, I didn't like the way he did that. And then it's just, that's that kind of stuff just kind of evolves in on social media now where people are just, you know, that people wish injury upon, you know, I saw uh, Baron Corbin post something, you know, replied to a fan just yesterday about someone saying like, Oh, why, why are all these people? Why is does Baron Corbin still have a job and all these other guys getting fired? Um, you know, and Baron Corbin said like, you know, he, he had, you know, he, he's a heel persona on TV, but he had a very real response saying like, it doesn't matter, you know, like what kind of person are you to wish, you know, to wish me to lose my job to support my family, you know, like sure. it doesn't, that, that doesn't make you, you know, we're, none of us are happy that, you know, that all these, you know, 30 guys got cut, but you know, why, why do you want someone else to have that experience? You know, just because you don't like their wrestling. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's one thing to, just dislike somebody and okay, I'm not a fan of them. So I'll, I'm not going to buy their t-shirt or I'm not going to cheer for them when they come out. You know, I'm not even going to boo for them. I don't even want to watch them. I'm going to use the bathroom. That's one thing to, to, to just dis- disconnect yourself from a wrestler because you don't like the way they wrestle. It's another thing to be, to w- wish harm or wish death upon them. I mean, you know, it, it just, it just sucks. You know, when people are like, Oh, you know, I hope, you know, this match, I hope you break your leg or whatever. Like, yeah, I, what, but how does that, how does that impact, impact your life? If I break my leg, you know, all it does is hurt my life, you know, and like, I have not done anything to cause you any stress or trouble, you know, except you don't like watching me wrestle, but there's uh, thousands of other wrestlers you can watch and just don't watch me, you know? So I think it gets a little, it crosses the line and, you know, I, I, I don't know how many other, I'm sure celebrities get it all the time too. Um, because people are very, the, the negative is always louder and people always want to, you know, uh, you know, look down on things and, and they want to try to, um, I guess, help their own. I don't know, bring somebody down because they're, they don't like themselves or they want to bring, make themselves feel better by trying to bring someone else down. And it's just, you know, it just becomes a toxic place. And like the young bucks now, they, they even left Twitter. They don't even do Twitter anymore yeah. because of, because of all the toxic, toxic, uh, toxicity they would get. I've said it many times on this podcast, no matter if you like something or you don't like something, the beauty of it is if you don't like it, don't watch it. It's a, America is the greatest country in the world, uh, and you can do what you want. You, nobody tells you you have to watch this or you have to watch that. So I don't understand. I, I understand people. If, you know, some some. And we've talked about this before. I had a long talk with Glenn Goberti about it uh, a few months ago. And you know, if it's not your cup of tea, I'm not going to argue with you. You know, if if you don't like it, you don't like it. Cool. So just don't watch it. And if you like it, then support support it. It's it's just I don't get it. Um, yeah, I. I Early yesterday, before the producers and some of the writers started getting cut, uh, I made a comment on Twitter about uh, this must be like Christmas in the Khan family. And, uh, you know, I, was, I wasn't trying to, to make fun of the guys that got cut. I was just trying to add a little tiny bit of humor to it, because if you can't, if you, you know, I've learned when WCW went out of business and I lost my gig. You know, you can either cry or you could try to get a chuckle out of it. But so many people are venomous. They're like, uh, how could you do that? I just finally took it down. So 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with you. Probably might not have been in the best of uh, of taste, but uh, was just trying to find some levity in a horrible situation that affected a lot of people I know. So tell me about um, to finish things up, and I appreciate your time. I know it's valuable uh, to finish things up. Tell me about how that experience and the death threats and stuff like that sort of came, uh, sort of morphed into a real wrestling character, Joseph P. Ryan and the cancel culture. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the idea sprouted because, um, you know, of the, uh, the, I guess the backlash that impact got from when, you know, when they aired that, uh, Rob Van Dam and Katie uh, Forbes skit on, on Twitch and Twitch got mad cause it was, you know, very adult oriented. And there was, you know, this big, like, um, big to do about it, I guess, you know, they lost their Twitch stream for a week or something. And I, you know, it was like the talk of the town for a little bit and, you know, like, so standards in practice, we're going to keep a closer eye on us. And, you know, I, I just kind of, you know, I talked to, you know, the writers, uh, um, RD Evans and, you know, and I told him, look, you know, I think there's an opportunity here, um, you know, to run with this and, you know, and they, they came up with the idea for cancel culture and, you know, it's, it's, it's essentially right to censor, but right to cancel, uh, you know, in the modern era, right. but it's also like, it's also like all the, all the, all the studying I need to do and all the character development I need to do. I can just look on my Twitter timeline and read those tweets and see the people who are trying to cancel me or trying to cancel, you know, whoever the next guy who, uh, you know, you know, and, and, I'm not, and I'm not trying to make light of it because some people are, you know, toxic to the wrestling industry and they, they should leave or toxic to the world and should, you know, the, you know, there, there's a lot of bad people out there, but I feel like sometimes it gets blown out of proportion. And I think we're trying to parody what gets blown out of proportion. Um, and so, you know, the opportunity came up for us to kind of, uh, do this character where, you know, we are basically standards and practices, uh, but we're doing it with a bit of a twist where we're, we're, we're the ones that are tired of hearing, hearing it from everyone. So we're going to give it back to them. Yeah, for sure. And, and plus the one way to get a, a group of people, a crowd or an audience to want to see something like the dick flip, whatever you call it, a penis flip, I don't know what you call it, is to stop doing it. Uh, and, and that just could make them want the pop even bigger, bigger, bigger if and when you ever uh, are, do it again. So uh, it, there's 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 a lot of story to be told, I think, that's real life and uh, or that mirrors real life. And there's uh, eventually at the end, there's a, 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 a way to go home and 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 really get a payoff for it. So I find it interesting. I find your entire career interesting. Um, uh, what a what a. a I don't know that there's another wrestler who's done so many unique things and succeeded at them. So, and I'm not just blowing smoke cause you're on this podcast, but, um, I appreciate you coming on and talking about it and, um, uh, you know, uh, total honesty and, and, uh, and, and what a journey, man. Uh, do you look back and ever say what a journey I had, you know, who would have ever thunk it? Yeah. Right. Um, I mean like 20 years in, you know, and it's, it's just, it's crazy to think that it's, it's, you know, it's been that long, you know, I've wrestled, I've now wrestled two people who are younger than my wrestling career. Like they started, they were born after I started wrestling and, you know, that's just crazy for me to think about. Yeah. I was talking to Ace Austin and, uh, and I said, Ace, I said, it was a longer story that I won't get into, but I said, you know what Mark market specific promos were, right? He goes, I got no clue. And I'm like, Oh, forget it. 
I ended yeah. up I ended up explaining it to him, but it was like uh, it put it it, it, it it lets you know exactly it puts you in your place. Uh, hey, Joey, thanks again. And uh, if people want to follow you, I know I'm sure you have a pro wrestling tea store, and uh, I know you have social media because we just talked about it. Where can people find you if they want to follow you or support you? Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Joey Ryan online. Um, on Instagram, I'm at Joey Ryan. Uh, and I do have a pro wrestling tea store. It's pro wrestling slash Joey Ryan. Um, and yeah, I, uh, you can, I'm pretty accessible and, you know, I, I, I try to stay pretty relevant in social media, so I'm pretty active on there. Well, again, I appreciate you coming on and giving us your time. I find the story fascinating in a lot of ways, and I'm glad you told it here. So uh, thank you. Best of luck and stay safe in this crazy world we live in right now. Thanks, you too. I want to thank Joey Ryan for an honest conversation. He's a serious guy, but fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. Like I said, I, I cannot think of – we've had a lot of guests on this this show, we're in our third year, so almost every week. So you do the math, but um, I can't think of anybody who has the uh, the 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 different kind of work that he has. Uh, Lucha Vavum, which we found out about, uh, Rock Hawk King, which is totally different. DDP, which is different than that. Uh, Hulk Hogan's Celebrity Championship Wrestling, Bar Wrestling. It's all different. It's all a lot of it's international. And he succeeded on in so many different places that it's it's fascinating to be able to hear about all the different styles and the different places and and what his characters were and 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 how he tried to get them over. So, I want to thank Joey for his honesty. And you could see him each and every Tuesday night Eastern time, eight o'clock Eastern time, on Axis TV, Impact Wrestling, and um, and so we'll be following his career for sure. And we thank him for his time. Trying my hardest to get Mike Jackson as one of the guests next week. Uh, if you didn't watch the segment on Impact Wrestling with Johnny Swinger and Mike Jackson, and we told a little bit about it, me and Joey did, about the locker room sellout, which is something like in 30 years in the business I put on Twitter, I had never seen anything like that before. Probably because I'm usually out by the ring, but 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 I don't know that there is anything like that before. It just dawned on me that probably the reason I've never seen anything like that before is because I'm outside the ring, so I never get to see people watching the monitors, but this was something special. So, uh, and, and, uh, you know, Mike Jackson, 71 years old, 72 years old, still going strong. And, um, you know, he, you might remember him as, uh, uh if you're old school, like me as, uh, one of the enhancement guys on Georgia championship wrestling in the late seventies. And it turns out that, uh, getting to talk to him a little bit that he, uh, he, was the one, you know, I talk about my story about how I charged a booking fee and they had different guys in different areas charging booking uh, fees to bring talent down to WCW, the Italian Stallion in North Carolina, Rip Rogers in Louisville. We've talked about it. It turns out that Mike Jackson's the one who came up with that whole thing. Uh, back in the Georgia Championship Wrestling days, he would put 15 guys and wrestlers in a, a cargo van and take them down to Atlanta. So we're going to talk to him, hopefully, about that and about his career and it should be interesting uh, from a lot of perspectives. So um, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, if you don't already, please subscribe, please spread the word. And um, I'm very proud of the, the quality of the archive that we have. Uh, uh, so, um, and there's no charge, no, no, you don't have to pay anywhere online fees uh, to get the archive. Uh, just go on to wherever you watch, uh, listen to the podcast. I'm sorry. 
and uh, it's right there for you. And you can pick out uh, your favorites and listen to us talk and tell stories and uh, and try to get by and pass some time in this crazy world we live in where you're stuck at home most of the time. So until next week, I am David Penzer, Still City Ringsides. So you guys stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next week. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles, news and political pundits like independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crochell. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.